You're listening to Agile Next, the next generation Agile talk show. I'm Daniel Gulo. And I'm Stephen Forte. Each week, we ask industry leaders to share their past experiences with Agile practices and to provide their insights into where Agile's heading to next. The show is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and by visiting our website at www.agilenext.tv. This episode is brought to you by Applebrook Consulting and Fresco Capital. Whatever your Agile needs, Applebrook Consulting can help with training and coaching. Visit our website at www.apple-brook.com. Fresco Capital is a global venture capital firm focusing on entrepreneurs building global businesses. Visit our website at fresco.vc. Episode 11, August 25th, 2016. Today's guest is Tanya Maslach. Tanya currently leads new development strategy at Location Labs. Tanya is a former startup founder and CEO and vice president of product, leading teams in engineering and design for social community-driven services and platforms. Her not-so-secret passions are digital health, wellness, and waiting for the first time she can enter a Noki eating contest. Pretty cool. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thanks. Glad to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here, Tanya. I happen to know that you uh, are a highly competitive swimmer and former triathlete and competed at the collegiate level and uh, at a scholarship on a team. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you draw some experiences to your journey in the professional world of, of agile and development and product development? Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the key parts of being on any kind of team, whether it's collegiate or otherwise, is there's there's a sense of competitiveness um, that people bring to sport, and um, inside of that, especially with triathlon, but but in uh, I have to go back to my days uh, swimming in college and beforehand is. Um, there's an interesting focus on the small things for making a, a pretty significant difference in performance. And an example of this is um, I'll use uh, swimming because it's um, so f- focused like triathlon on times, but there's, there's less disciplines involved. You're just swimming. Um, in some events, uh, people could, can remember like 50-meter or 100-meter freestyle where when you see eight men or women rushing to the finish of those races in the Olympics, it's really hard to tell who hits the wall first without that timing clock. And as athletes, when you're preparing and training for an event that short over 15, 16 years of your life, it's hard for people to understand the magnitude of changing a small, tiny thing in your training to make a huge difference at that last final second that would help you touch the line first. And I think in Agile, just in general practice, um, what's both fun and hard at the same time is having that level of focus and discipline on one small thing to test and see, are we on the right track? I think that's... uh, quite possibly the hardest, especially for teams, whether they're teams of organizations or management teams to get their heads wrapped around because they're, they may be focused on like the grand plan is to win a gold medal. Um, but there's a lot of tiny things in route to making that happen 
And in swimming and triathlon, changing what you do with your, you know, your right elbow as it enters the water makes a huge change in what, how fast you'll move through the water for the remainder of that, just that day that you're practicing and then five days and then 10 days and, and these things add up. And so I think in agile, you know, the inspiration for me and the fun really is having that in the background of my mind, always thinking, look, we really just, we just really want to test this one hypothesis, this one thing that we want to try. We want to do this with the customer. And for me, that level of focus and discipline, um, is very helpful and I think uh, at least has the most results. Now, I, I, have to, I have to qualify this with, that's where I've spent almost all of my life working. So I, I don't know the other side, um, which may not be fair to this podcast. but <laughs> Well, so you've always been doing it the right way then. Yes, that's right. I've always, I've always been, <laughs> that's right. I've always been doing it the right way. <laughs> but, you know, my background is... Um, I'm a, I'm a trained biologist, and there's a lot of similarities in scientific experimentation, um, I think, um, with Agile. And it, it's like, you know, you're changing one little variable, and then you're doing something, and you're kind of watching. And in biology, it's you're putting it out to nature and just kind of seeing what happens between a control and the thing, the variable that you're experimenting with. But I think it's the same in running agile kind of experiments is it's that mindset where you have to be like, you know what, we're just all going to set out to learn if what we hypothesized about is, is the right thing or the wrong thing. And your, your thing that you're testing is on uh, hopefully something that you are wanting to be valuable for customers in the market. In biology, it was just, you were aiming to learn something that was naturally occurring or not. Anyway, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of strings that weave this whole fabric together in the same way. So it was easier for me and, and still is. That, it's very fascinating, Tanya. I, I have a very deep interest in entrepreneurial spirit. I, I speak of it um, to many different groups. And it seems like there's a lot of inspiration that you can draw from in your, your sports competitive drive and, and startup culture. So could you speak a little bit of how some of those skills and, and motivation and so forth carry over? Yeah, I, you know, one thing I think is in terms of my past is if you look at sports and where I have so-called been playing in sports, um, they're, they're mainly really individual sports. And, and I don't say this to say I'm not a team player, except that I think what you do have to look at is the difference um, in a sport like swimming, especially as you start to excel and compete at higher levels, um, I would say the same thing about triathlon, where you, at least in my case, where I started to, you know, it was interest and friends and they were doing it. And really the only way I could hang out with my friends was to do triathlon. And so I started doing it because I liked the people. But shortly thereafter got very competitive. And of course, again, this is really at the core an individual sport. I think what's important to, um, to think about in my case, at least is in those sports, they're very, um, very much driven by someone who is self-motivated. And, uh, at the same time, again, if you're kind of getting more and more competitive in those sports is, uh, you are very focused and disciplined. 
And in the case of a sport like triathlon, you have to be the supreme kind of disciplined multitasker. Uh, people like to look at a sport like triathlon, observers do, and they say, wow, you know, you can go out and you can do one sport, then you get out of the water and you do another sport, and then you get out of the water and you do another sport, and you're like weaving three sports together. And so, wow, you must be training those, the, in those three disciplines all the time. Wow, that's a lot. Well, well the thing that's nuts is there's, there's actually many more that you're training for. You have to train for nutrition. The, um, you know, how do you eat during during a, during a competition, you have to train your body for that discipline as well. Um, and, and, and in triathlon and swimming, what, what I think is really important to, at least for me, uh, when I think about this, when I think about like entrepreneurialism or just, or just intrapreneurialism is, are, are we talking about individuals that are self-motivated, can focus and are disciplined around what they need to do when they need to do it? And, you know, the, the um, I was reading a blog just yesterday by the founder of Greatest. <clears throat> the the um, it's like a, a newsletter of sorts that allows people to kind of find out how to lead healthy lifestyles. And I remember when this guy started his company five years ago. And just yesterday in his Medium post, he was commenting about how it's taken him so long to just recognize the power of focus. And he really is most proud of it in reaching that only in his fourth year of running his company. And I, I don't mean to say that to disparage the guy, but just to say it is incredibly difficult when you're running a company or building a team to stay focused. And I would argue it's because there's so many other cool things that are coming at you. Um, and so in my experience, what's been the most helpful for me and where this kind of this crosses with my background in swimming and triathlon specifically is I, I literally have been raised in sport. I mean, I've been swimming since I was six months old and competitively since I was six. There, there's no, there's, there's nothing more important than when you get to the pool that day, what are you focused on? Oh, it's how many strokes you take across the pool. That's all you're going to think about today. It's going to be, you know, 14. And if you're not hitting 14, then that's all you're going to think about for the entire practice and the entire practice in the afternoon. You're only going to think about 14. Um, and that, I, I think that's a leverageable power for not just athletes, but, but for entrepreneurs is how well can you focus and discipline um, yourselves and your team around what matters. Uh, and and that, that's, that's what's been really helpful for me in my career. Uh, yeah, and I, I oftentimes relate to people in, in my courses and when I'm coaching and so forth, that the whole idea of entrepreneurial spirit is there's no such thing as it's not my job, right? So to your point of um, you're doing so much more than just the task at hand, it's, it's pretty much doing whatever it takes to be successful. So when, you, when you're thinking about startups, because you've been involved in the startup community and so on and and raised a, a couple of startups um, how do those things translate how do those skills translate over well i you know a, a very concrete example of this is deciding what, what it is you're going to measure um, now there's a lot of things that you can focus on i'm just pulling one out for the sake of just kind of a a very concrete example i think when you get started one of the hardest things is 
people will start um, getting very excited about all the things that you can measure. Well, we can measure how many people signed up for our thing. We can measure how many people showed up for our thing. We can measure what they did when they got there. And you can break that down even into, did they walk to the bike and sit on it? Did they get in the pool and swim? Did they, um, if we're talking about software, did, after they signed up, did they, um, I don't know, did they do three swipes on three people? Did they create their full profile? Uh, there's a million things that, you, that any entrepreneur or product leader can get quite excited about and just start literally adding in these events, right? These things that, oh, I'm curious, so I want to know. I think the hardest thing, again, comes back to, no, 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 really, what, what is most important for us to know, not just generally, but at this point right now in the history of our business, right now? And if that's at the start, that is going to be very different than the thing that you focus on 120 days later, if you've even made it to 120 days later, so just, uh, again, I think it's deciding and knowing how to decide. We are going to focus on how many people sign up. They, they give us their email address. We're going to focus on that. And then, of course, inside of those are stories like, well, how do we get them to do that? So there's a lot of the how-to questions that come from that. But at the very top, it's we're running a business here, folks. What's most important right now? Well, well, we need customers. And I think in Agile, what's, again, what's kind of fun with all of this is you, you, can, you can set a dashboard of what are the top three things that we need to know right now. But the fun part with Agile is that, you know, the, it, it's this whole, I, again, I just love this piece where it's like people over processes, right? Get out of the building. Include your customers in, in your development. And, um those things strike the fear of God into people who are, don't, don't want, like they say they want to know, but what does this imply? It implies going out and getting told by 20 people that what you just created totally sucks, right? <laughs> like it totally sucks. What you just created sucks and I actually don't want it. And who wants to hear that? And I think again, we're where the mindset is important. And I, and I'll just use myself as an example, because heck, we're talking to me, is in sport, you don't know if what you're doing doesn't work until you try it. So you do it and you do it and you do it and you do it. And if you're not getting any positive feedback after doing it for, you know, two hours in the pool in the morning, there's really no sense to keep trying that for two more hours in the pool in the afternoon. You might tweak it a little bit. This is the same thing that I think is a really powerful um, part of Agile, which is, you have to have this mindset of we're going to collaborate with the customer and we're going to collaborate with the people within this company, sales, engineering, marketing, you name it. We're going to bring this small group of people together and, hey, people, we're going to focus on one thing. We, we ultimately want people to sign up. That's it. We need people to sign up. And, and we need these two other things, but we really need people to sign up. And I think that focus is really, really, really hard because five days later, you know, a CEO comes in and says, well, you know, we, I know, I totally agree. We want people to sign up, but we also really want people to do this. Can we, we want to do this too. Can we do that? And the product owner has to be the one that says, you know what, we are going to do that, but only when we have permission 
from the customers to do it, which means if we don't have customers, we're not going to do that. That's really, really hard. That rings true for me because in my day job, I'm not podcasting with Daniel. I'm a, a I'm an investor into early stage startups as a venture capitalist. And when I talk to all of the founders, I tell them, focus on one metric and drive your business towards that metric. And they always want to pursue what I call vanity metrics, which are the metrics that make them feel good, but do not necessarily um, help them make decisions. Because I said, part of being agile is if you drive yourself to this one metric, and if the metric is telling you one thing, make the changes, make the pivot, uh, you know, do all of those types of things. And I I've, I've even told them when you, let's say you're going to go viral as part of your business plan. I said, fine, use the virality coefficient as your one metric and drive yourself always to that one metric. So every feature, even a logout button or a login button, whether you want to go to the bathroom or get Chinese food or Indian for lunch is, will this increase our virality coefficient? So I've always felt that, um, the startups need to, to really get into that discipline of, of driving to one metric and then using a very agile process to make the changes based on the feedback that comes in. Because you may be getting feedback four, five, six times a day, like significant quantifiable feedback when you're measuring your behavior. In that respect, you've started to touch on the fact that you've worked with some startups and it sounded like you had some difficulties um, getting some of the, you know, getting some people to focus. And those are traditionally uh, viewed as a large company problem. Um, can you tell us some of the advantages and some of the disadvantages that you faced um, as a product development person in a startup, as a CEO in a startup to, to get the team to be very agile and move fast? Yeah, I, I, I remember one story um particularly uh, well, because it was kind of a shocker to me to hear this, but I was working with a team uh, once that uh, there was a, there was a project manager and I was um, the product owner and there was a team of six, let me, one, two, three, four, six engineers. Um, and I came to the project manager with a fully designed product um, that I had prototyped uh, numerous times before putting any code behind it. And when I showed up to that meeting, um, he, was, he initially was like, oh, this is nice. Thanks for the design, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I've got, we've got more behind this than just the design. And we started going through some of the results from the test and some of the elements that I'd be testing for. Um, we were done building a fairly complex, I mean, far from just a one-feature um, product, a highly social product in eight weeks. And it was because the team that I was working with was very familiar with the process of Agile and what we needed to do to make sure that product went, went, went to market first, but went to market in a way that was kind of built around just what you said, Stephen, which was, Look, we actually, um, I had set more than one. I had three uh, KPIs. There was one that was the most significant for me, and that was signups. Um, but, but in that process, along the way, every single week and every day that we did stand-ups, there was from the engineers a, wow, we've never worked with anybody that has had all of this like dialed in and ready. And par part of that was this, again, this, the focus uh, around we're not trying to like recreate anything magnificent here. We have one very small focused task to do and we burned through it. Now, I, I, it, 
it wasn't easy. Um, there was a lot of hard work behind that, a lot of time. But because there was focus, when, when someone would come in and say, why don't we try this? Let's do this. It was always under the premise of this. Where are we getting the why don't we try this? Are we getting this from customer development? Um, are we getting this because Tanya went out to the world and tried the prototype and the, the, the code that we shipped last Friday? Is it because she came back and said this? Then okay, let's do that. But it was never just a random let's try something for the sake of trying it. So we moved very quickly. Um, and that, that is the kind of the advantage I would say, um, that, I've, that I've experienced with a small team where something amazing was pushed out very, very quickly. There's certainly disadvantages, but I think, um, the disadvantages are completely related to the human factors associated with agile. So I, I like to think just technology in general is is great. Technology or tools. There are things that hopefully people create to make our lives easier. But I think the part that we get stuck on with, with Agile specifically is it's, it's really a process, which means there are humans behind it that have to practice the process. And that's where things get really, really messy, like in life is, um, you know, everybody likes to use the, <laughs> it's January 1st example. So 5 billion people are joining gyms and starting diets and the whole nine. And, and that is a very intellectual exercise, right? So you can have your spreadsheets ready. They're all filled out with the days and the exercises you're going to do and what you're going to eat on every single day marked out in a spreadsheet and, and your goal weight or maybe you want to gain muscle or whatever it is and you've got it. There's a purely intellectual exercise. This happens in businesses too where they go and they use spreadsheets and everything's mapped out in one of these things and then there's PowerPoint decks and the whole nine. January 1st hits and you're completely enthused to get started. January 5th hits and you're a beast. You can't stand it. You can't stand yourself. You don't want to do this anymore. You're getting up at five in the morning because you got to work out before you go to work. And then you're hungry. So you're like, screw that yummy, whatever I was supposed to eat with, you know, fruit and yogurt and screw it. I'm having five pancakes and a cup of coffee. I mean, it, it, the, it's the human side of making agile work is really the part that that screws everybody up because it's, it's a mindset and it means that people need to start thinking differently about how they build products really. And that's not just the job of the product owner. It's literally the entire company. It involves everybody. Um, and I think that's where the disadvantage is, is that, um, thinking that it's easy because the way that a lot of agile folks who are used to agile talk about it, you, if you talk to anybody who has done it for a long time, they're enthused about it. They see the advantages and they love it and they've seen the results of it and it's exciting and it's fun and you're working with a lot of people and they actually think talking to customers is awesome. Um, but it will hit a wall when you, like anything, you, you get the opposing view on that, which isn't necessarily the bad view. It's just like I said, it's kind of the other side of that coin and that's when you hit a wall. It becomes very difficult, I think, to implement a process without the, the human side of understanding and then, of course, trying to do it. It's really hard. Yeah, it kind of underscores the need for coaching. I can, I can totally relate to what you're saying about, you know, not only going to the gym and, um, you know, tracking metrics too closely. It can actually have a, a reverse effect. It can be very demotivating. 
Um, but then if you have somebody who's able to kind of stand outside and look in and help you realize how well you're doing and give you suggestions and so on, it could be very helpful in, in carrying that forward. Yeah, I, I, I think so too. I think, a, I think an objective coach is particularly helpful when, you know, with agile small teams, you have one group that's just trying to work within that process as well as they can. But there's, there's oversight or managerial oversight somewhere that is actually getting inside of that process too much and need to be restricted from access. And that sounds bad, but it, it's not meant bad. It's meant they, they just, if they don't, if they don't understand the process or the positive outcomes that come from agile, and let's just say this, right? Agile is messy. If you've not, if you've not been in it and encountered like the good of it at the end, it feels really messy to people who are used to, okay, we just need a plan and we're going to work on the spec and we'll get it done in like six months or three months. And we're just going to, this is what we're building and this is what we want to look like. Um, the, the, the process of agile can feel really wrong if you've not experienced it before, where all of a sudden you have do, you're doing something on Monday and by Friday you've learned all this data and you're switching gears. That, that can feel like you guys are screwing up, you're not getting it right, what's the problem, you're, this is not working, when in fact that is exactly what should be happening. That, that is the problem. And that's, that's so interesting about the history of Agile is like it didn't even start in software, right? I mean, it started in hardware, which is hysterical because it's just the place that you think, oh my God, who would think, oh my God, this is a place you can't start? And so that's what's so fascinating to me is like so- software, IT, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're, we're like the recipients of this process. It started completely outside of us. And that's what's so fascinating is like it, it works particularly well in software if you can do it. So, so like I said, I think coaching is um, it's an excellent opportunity for those that can experience that because it helps them understand it's actually okay. This is okay. And this is what's happening. And that level of education is hard to do when a product owner is trying to lead the agile process and then also educate at the same time. That It's a time suck, quite frankly. You, your 10, 15, 20 higher percent of your time is both educating someone else who doesn't understand the benefit of it while also at the speed of light trying to continue that process um, I think a coach is super helpful. And um, I want to ask a slightly different question is when you said about agile was messy, it got me thinking about agile starting to spread outside of the IT shop or the developer shop. Cause you said it really started on the manufacturer's floor. And I started thinking about DevOps cause I know you have some experience there. And for me, DevOps has always been a moving target. Just like in the early days of Agile, Agile was a bit of a moving target until we put the brands down, right? The Scrum and the XP and the this. And we haven't really quite done that with DevOps yet. And to me, DevOps is Agile expanding to deployment to the, to the well, I, I would call it IT, but outside world would call it something different. But to the implementation team, to the production team, the you know that type of stuff. Um, do you have any opinions on that as where as, as really where you see DevOps kind of um, evolving and agile evolving outside a little bit of the um, of the IT shop? Because I know that you have a good experience with DevOps. 
Yeah, I think um, there's two things, right? So I don't know what um, listeners are thinking of when they hear this mashed up term, right? But it, but it is a mashed up term. So it's it's dev on one hand and ops on the other. And dev is this this group of people, right? They're keeping things. They're they're the ones churning out the changes, right? Um, and ops is they're primarily incentivized to, to keep things running predictably, right? Things are reliable, they're, they're high performant, et cetera, et cetera. And so these are really kind of, in my mind, there are two groups of people working very closely together, hand in hand. And in my experience, um, th- again, from an agile perspective is, you, you, it, it, it is critical to have also this functional area of your team working with you to develop this product. So certainly everybody has their very specific um, functional expertise. But in my experience, I I love and like to invite others through questions. Because with DevOps especially, it it is not my area of expertise. I'm the first to say it. Um, But I learn so much about the decisions that they make and how they think about what they do and how it affects the customer, that we can't actually afford to not be asking them questions about, how do you think this, we want to do X, how do you think what you're doing will affect X and how can we do it better? And in, at least in my experience, that results in, in, in some pretty engaging conversations around, at the end of the day, how are we serving the users, I want to do this so that I can do this statement, right? That, that, that user scenario that we have to nail, how is the DevOps team helping you to do that? And I think um, when you do that with your team, uh, you'll, be, you'll be really surprised. They will, if you invite them into the conversation, they will have ideas that are generally outside the scope of what you were thinking, what marketing was thinking, what sales was thinking about how to solve that issue. And um, with teams that I've worked with, I've gone straight to them in the very beginning to ask those questions because they're, they're such a cornerstone for what you're creating, at least in software um, that you can't afford to not listen to what they have to say about how to answer that question for the user. And all along the way. So it isn't just in the beginning. It's as you're going through lock and step and you're hitting barriers is circle back around and say, this is what happened. Do you guys think we can do this better? Is there another way to tackle this? What's happening in your space that we're not thinking about? And their head is wrapped around this stuff constantly. So without, you know, you don't include them and you're missing a huge, I think, a huge chunk of the pie on how you can build your product better. This, this has been really great perspective, Tanya. I really appreciate the discussion that we've been having. Uh, we ask all of our guests the same question, which is the premise of our show. Where, does, where is Agile heading next, in your opinion? You know, I think um, what's fun to see is when Agile is being used, um, and I'll just say this, in families. Uh, it, it's you know, um, (laughs) there's a lot of principles in agile that can be used outside of it and software. Um, you start jumping into different industries like fashion or design or retail. I think agile can be used and is being used across all of those industries. But I think what's fun is to see it used in a space where no one would think 
oh, we can use that process here. And that's in, in the family dynamic. You think about a, a mom or a dad or any adult um, being part of a process that might help a kid to do something. And there are blockers, right? Kids provide blockers. Parents have blockers. And this is, a, I, I, you know, I feel like this is a really non-traditional answer. And I, when I think about Agile, I'm looking a lot inside of like the processes that families go to, go through to learn how they can interact better with each other. And this is a different framework, really. This is like a, a different mental model that's attached to Agile, which is how do we build relationships so that we can move together better. And that's a very different way to think about Agile, but interestingly enough, the results are the same. So if you need some kind of given result quickly, namely you don't want to ask for something and then you get it like four, six, ten weeks later, um, this is a bi-directional street in families. So you know, at any given time, the parent might be the customer. The kid is needing to learn something. So what are they not getting in order to get that thing. And it goes the other way as well. And so looking at this through the mindset of like a, a parent or a kid, I'm seeing like just a lot of similarities to how Agile works in companies. And I'm kind of fascinated about it because it changes how I think about product development for families. Um, and so that's where I see it. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I doubt others <laughs> would say the same. But I think Agile, in terms of like where it's been and where it's going, it's scooted through a lot of different, I think, um, industries. And we'll, I mean, retail is one I've been watching a little bit over this last year. I think it's a little bit harder in the life sciences, um, but still can be done. Um, but families and it is an interesting thing I'm looking at now. And I find it, I, I, I see it at play in families. I, I, of course, don't, you know, families aren't using that word. But it's a very natural kind of experimental process that happens quickly. And um, I'm kind of fascinated by that. I think it's interesting. My family, you know, with, with the kids, my wife homeschools, you know, the, the older three kids. And we're totally using elements of Agile. Like, a, you know, we have a Kanban board for each kid. We do, they do daily stand-ups, so to speak. And then we have retrospectives to reflect on how things are going and so on. So I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I think you're right. There's not in the future, it's not going to be agile. It's just going to be the way things are done pretty much. Yeah, I, I, I think I, and I think kids really appreciate that, too. It keeps everybody kind of like, where are we at? What are we doing? Wait, what just happened? Can we do that again? Um, I think it's good for, again, both sides. If you look at the family like a marketplace, I think it's, it's really um, kind of a fascinating to see, thing to see Agile play out in, in that little mini marketplace. It's very interesting. We've definitely enjoyed the conversation, so we'll have our final question, which is what's next for Tanya over the next year or so? Any, any broad things that are going on? Any exciting things you're working on? I'm looking for the, the, new, the, the highest and best gnocchi eating contest that I can find. That's what I'm looking for. I can't believe there isn't one on the map yet. Um, what's next for me? You know, still, my head right now is buried in understanding how families work. Um, and I'm fascinated by that. Um, I think what's also it kind of almost correlated with that is security and privacy. 
um, this is this is also something that's um, interesting to me uh, because my head is buried inside of the family space, and I'm thinking more about that. Um, and I don't know how agile works in that security space very much. And I, maybe later I'll hit one of you guys up for your thoughts on that because that's a that's a that's a toughie when you're talking about identity and. Um, you know, safety in terms of families think in terms of safety, right? And how do you how do you how do you work agile into that? That's kind of a toughie for me right now. So that's what that's what my my head is trying to work on. Well, that's great. And uh, Tanya, we've really enjoyed having you on the show, and um, hope to see you again. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Next week on Agile Next, we speak with Bill Joyner, author of Leadership Agility. We hope that you can join us. A big Agile Next thank you to our sponsors, Fresco Capital and Applebrook Consulting. Visit Fresco Capital at frescocapital.com and Applebrook Consulting at apple-brook.com. We hope to see you next week on Agile Next. In the meantime, check out our website at agilenext.tv. 